The Bible doesn't tell us this per se, so this is a guess on my behalf. But I would venture a strong guess or supposition that after Cain killed Abel, Adam and Eve found themselves wondering what waits for us after this life is over. I would conjecture that they started to wonder about resurrection. They got curious about it. And since that time, curiosity about the afterlife, about the resurrection, has just gained traction. And as it has gained traction, it has grown in momentum for good reason. And because people have been curious about it, the Bible speaks to it almost from the very beginning. Now, like I say, Adam and Eve didn't necessarily have insight unless the Lord had given it to them when he was talking face to face with them in the garden. The Lord didn't give them insight into what happens next. But he does very quickly start to share with us what waits. Now, let me show you what I mean. There is a strong belief that the Old Testament never speaks of the resurrection, but it does. If you have a Bible in your hands, join me in Daniel chapter 12. If you're a note taker, somebody who maps things out in your Bible under the front cover on that first blank page, you may want to write what the Bible says about resurrection and track some of these verses today and map your way through it. It does begin in the Old Testament, and don't ever let anybody convince you otherwise. Daniel chapter 12, listen closely. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It doesn't get much plainer than that. There's the Old Testament speaking of resurrection. If your name is written in the book, the Lamb's Book of Life, There is great hope and great promise waiting for you. If not, well, the opposite is true. There are other places as well in the Old Testament, like the book of Isaiah, 26th chapter, verse 19. Take a look at this. The old prophet writes, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So there again, we have the Old Testament speaking of resurrection. It is not silent on this matter. But my favorite reference is found in the book of Job. Job chapter 19, verse 23. It has often been said by scholars that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, predating even the writing of Genesis. If that's true, then the teaching of the Old Testament goes all the way back. It allows us to see that from the beginning, God wanted us to know what waits. Job chapter 19, verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives 
and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. So there we have it. The Old Testament is speaking about resurrection in plain English now, in plain English, no uncertain terms. We know that resurrection is God's plan. But about 200 years before the time of Christ, there were a group of Old Testament scholars, Jewish scholars, that forgot what the Bible said. And they created an entire belief system that said there was no resurrection. They were called the Sadducees. They battled it out with another group of Jewish leaders known as the Pharisees. And one of the big dividing points between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is the hope of resurrection. The Sadducees, no hope of resurrection. The Pharisees believed in it because of what the Bible said. The Sadducees ended up shaping the doctrine of Judaism when Jesus came because, are you ready for this? They had money. They had money. And that meant they had power and they had position. Because of those two things, people listened to what they had to say. And a lot of folks, a lot of folks ended up not believing in the resurrection Listen to what the Bible says about the Sadducees and even some of the battles that they had, not just with the Pharisees, but with Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. The same day Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You're wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So here they were trying to trap him. And Jesus, not one to ever be trapped, had a great response. And he just laid them out saying, why don't you go back to what your scriptures say? Let's get into the real idea of the resurrection. That's what he was putting before them. Let's get into the real idea of the resurrection. Because even Jesus was aware of the fact that they had so shaped this belief system that he was going to have to do some serious teaching to get people to understand the hope beyond the 70 or 80 or maybe 90 years that we have in this world. There is great promise of a life ahead. And for the Christian, for the Christian, that life begins the moment we accept Jesus. That's the best part about it, and it's a deep teaching of the resurrection. But first, I just want us to look at this eternal life idea before we get into that deep teaching of when resurrection begins. But we'll come back to that. This is such a difficult thing for people to wrap their minds around it that the Apostle Paul had to give a large section of Scripture to the teaching of the resurrection. 
I want to shine some light on it this morning. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Why don't you turn there? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, to read it can be just a little bit confusing. If you're reading from the English Standard Version, which is what I was just reading from, or a version like the New American Standard or the King James, and even in some ways the New International Version, can be difficult to grasp. So as we shine some light on this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to do it out of the modern translation called the Message. This is Eugene Peterson's translation. It is not one that should be used as a study translation, but it is one to help us study. So I want to use the message this morning so that this can be as clear as possible. Listen to what Eugene Peterson writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35. Here we go. Some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed. Soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. You will notice that the variety of bodies is stunning. Just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies. Humans, animals, birds, fish, each unprecedented in its form. You get a hint of the diversity of resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of bodies, not only on earth, but in the skies, sun, moon, stars, all these varieties of beauty and brightness, and we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best, but perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive forever. The corpse that's planted is no beauty, but when it's raised, it's glorious. Put in the ground weak, it comes up powerful. The seed sown is natural. The seed grown is supernatural. Same seed, same body. But what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality to when it is raised up in spiritual immortality. We follow this sequence in Scripture. The first Adam received life. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Physical life comes first, then spiritual. A firm base shaped from the earth, a final completion coming out of heaven. The first man was made out of earth, and people since then are earthy. The second man was made out of heaven, and people now can be heavenly. In the same way that we've worked from our earthy origins, let's embrace our heavenly ends. I need to emphasize, friends, that our natural earthy lives don't in themselves lead us by their very nature into the kingdom of God. Their very nature is to die. So how could they naturally end up in the life kingdom? But let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. 
You hear a blast to end all blast from a trumpet. And in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At that same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true. Death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who is afraid of you now? It was in sin, or I'm sorry, it was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. I like the way Eugene Peterson writes that. I like that a lot. just kind of gets my blood pumping thinking about it. That is the truth of resurrection. The Sadducees struggled against it, didn't want to believe it. Why wouldn't anybody want to believe it? They had a foundation of teaching in the Old Testament that led them to that truth. Yet they were blinded to it. They were blinded to it, ignoring that truth, keeping others from seeing it, leading others astray. So the Apostle Paul said it straight. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He always believed in the resurrection. But when he took this stand... He took it not only for them, but for us. Now, Paul wasn't the only one that knew this issue of resurrection was going to be real. Jesus knew it too. He knew that we were going to struggle with it, that people were going to be curious about it, that the mystery of resurrection would be a bit more than most could wrap their head around. So he did some teaching, and he did it when he chose to set the Sadducees straight. The Sadducees who tried to trap him, boy, their eyes were opened three days after he died on the cross. So let me show you how he did it. He showed us two things about resurrection that we really need to understand. And his resurrection demonstrated it. And it is a type, a glimpse of what ours will be like as well. The two things that became very obvious about resurrection in Jesus' life after death are these. Continuity and transformation. Continuity and transformation. Now, if you want to join me in the Gospel of Luke, I'll show you how Jesus demonstrated both. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. I told you there's going to be a lot of scripture today, so you'll get a biblical workout. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So here they get word, the disciples, the eleven, Judas is gone, the eleven get word that Jesus' tomb is empty, but they can't believe it. They can't wrap their head around it. They can't wrap their heart around it. They thought it was an idle tale. Even after being reminded of what Jesus had told them in Galilee, they were still struggling to accept the resurrection, that Jesus would rise from the grave. But he had. And then some teaching had to follow, and it had to come very quickly. So let's go to verse 36, Luke 24, verse 36. Watch how Jesus teaches them first continuity, the continuity of the resurrection, which simply means that Jesus rose from the grave alive, real, and recognizable. He rose from the grave alive, real, and recognizable. So he rose in human form. He rose in bodily form. Listen to this, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now, why would they have been startled and frightened? Because they had yet to wrap their head around resurrection. They were struggling with it. Even though Jesus had told them it was going to happen, they were struggling with it. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy, or disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, frish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name, in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Continuity. Jesus came and stood among them in bodily form. And when they were still struggling to accept that it was him, he said, take a look at my hands. Take a look at my feet. Take a look at the holes that are in both. And if you need to, go ahead and touch them. Touch my body. You will feel flesh. 
you will feel bone, continuity. All of that was right there in front of them. And they did those things. They touched his hands. They touched his feet. They touched his body. They felt his skin. They felt his bones. They knew that there was continuity, but the Bible says they were still struggling. So Jesus took it up another notch. He said, do you have anything to eat? And they said, well, funny you should ask. We were cooking fish. So he said, let me have a bite. And he took a bite of the fish. He ate right in front of them continuity in resurrection. He was raised in bodily form, and he was proving it. He was proving it right in front of them. One of my favorite parts of that section that we just read is when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Now you go tell people about this. You go tell people what you've seen, that you have seen me in bodily form, in continuity. You tell them that you touched my hands. You tell them that you touched my feet. You tell them that we shared a meal together. You tell them. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that in the 40 days between resurrection and ascension, Jesus found 500 other witnesses that saw the exact same thing. They saw the continuity of the resurrection. He was real, he was identifiable, he was touchable, he was recognizable. They knew him for who he was. The same way Peter, James, and John knew who Elijah and Moses were at the transfiguration. They were recognizable. Now here's a cool little sub-point at the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah instantly, and they'd never met them because Moses and Elijah had died hundreds of years before they experienced this. But in the continuity of resurrection, there's this supernatural understanding that this is who this is. You want to know some of the good news out of all of that? In the continuity of resurrection, we still get to eat. Isn't that great news? We still get to eat. Food will still be a part of heaven. It will be a part of resurrection. I'm pretty excited about that. And that means that there's no calories, so eat as much as you... Oh, I'm sorry, I digress now. I'm out of the Bible. But here's the other thing, and maybe this will be equally good news for you. You will know everyone's name. You will never struggle to remember a name. Isn't that great news? Oh, that's Moses and Elijah. Okay, never met them. I got it. I got it. Isn't that just a cool thought? That in heaven, we're going to know everybody because we are all part of the same family. The resurrected family. The redeemed family. That's the continuity of resurrection. Recognizable. Bodily form. Touch me and see. But then there's this second side. Take a look at these two things again. You have not only continuity, but you also have transformation. This is where things get so mysterious. There is a transformation aspect in resurrection where we experience what Eugene Peterson referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as heavenly glory. That's where this seed is planted when we die and it comes alive in something totally different. Transformation glory. It's the mystery of resurrection. But it is an equally cool part of resurrection. I don't know that there's anybody that understands that better than a man named Cleopas. His story is told in Luke chapter 24 as well, starting in verse 13. 
That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Now, wouldn't that be fun to see the smile on Jesus' face when he said, What, what things are you talking about? Now, this is Jesus who has risen from the grave and in continuity and bodily form is standing before them and they're talking about his death, burial, and now the rumor of his resurrection. And he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they look at him like he has lost his ever-loving mind. Where have you been? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know this, doesn't know what we're talking about? You don't know about these things? Oh, yeah, what things? And then Jesus has him reveal it. They said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now there's the transformation. Jesus had the ability to hide his identity, and then he had the ability to reveal his identity. And then he just vanished. That's transformation. That's the mysterious part of Jesus' own resurrection. Now, again, one of the cool things that I like about it is this little wink of God that when Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to him, then he vanished. This is my body broken for you. Little hint, just a little wink of God. But in the transformation, the heavenly glory side of the resurrection, Jesus had these other abilities. Do you see the continuity and the transformation? That's the mysterious part of it. That's the intriguing part of it. Oh, the disciples knew it as well. They were going to join Cleopas in telling people what they had seen. Listen to this from John chapter 20, verse 19. We've spent a lot of time in this passage. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. 
If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. They just saw both sides of the resurrection, starting with the transformation. The door was locked and Jesus came right through it. Heavenly glory. He was no longer bound by human constriction. Jesus was no longer bound by a locked door. Even in his bodily resurrection, his transformed heavenly glory allowed him to walk through the door. But then they needed to see the continuity, and he said, take a look at my hands and my feet. He showed them again. Transformation and continuity. Jesus was demonstrating both. Allowing people to see both. It is so intriguing to me that John, the one who just wrote all of this down, will later see the transformed Jesus. And it'll do something to him. It'll do something to him. This is found in Revelation chapter 1. Starting in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And that's how John saw him in Revelation 1, some 60 years after the resurrection, knocking on the door of 70. He saw Jesus in his transformed glory. And he fell and he worshiped him. And Jesus said to him, don't ever forget, John, don't ever forget, don't ever forget. I have the keys to death and Hades. I hold them in my hand. I hold them in my hand. And the keys to resurrection, they're right here. They are right here. And those who believe in me will experience it in continuity and this type of transformation. Things will change when we trust the resurrected Christ. Things will change when we trust the resurrected Christ in continuity and transformation. As we wrap this up, let me show you what I'm talking about. As soon as people saw the resurrected Jesus, things changed for them. We'll go back to John chapter 20 to see it. Starting with Mary, what's what changes? But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She hadn't seen the resurrected Christ yet. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And when she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Transformation. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, continuity. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. For Mary, this is what happened when she saw the resurrected Christ. She experienced complete understanding, followed by obedience. Very quickly, Jesus will tell her to go and tell the disciples that she has seen him, and she'll do that very thing. But first, there is this great understanding captured in that curious word, Rabboni. Now, as we study through the Gospels, we hear Jesus referred to as rabbi. We hear about that in the Jewish traditions all the time, about the rabbis. Rabbi simply means... Nope, let's go to the very next slide my master or my teacher. That's what rabbi means. But according to the Jewish traditions, there are three different levels of rabbi. The first is rab. According to early Babylonian works, this was a title given to certain learned men who had received the laying on of hands in the rabbinic schools. This was the lowest title among the three. So there were a group of people referred to as rabs. They had gone to school and they had received that title. But then there was a second level. Rabbi, meaning my master, was a title given after the laying on of hands by the Sanhedrin. The ceremony was interesting. The man was placed on a high chair which was raised above the assembly and was given a key and a scroll when the new title was spoken by a certain person. The key symbolized power and authority to teach others. And the scroll symbolized that he was familiar and devoted to his studies. He would wear the key as a token of greatness, and it was buried with him. Rabbi was one who has disciples, and whose disciples were prepared to raise up new disciples. This was the second greatest title among the three. And then there's the third level, Rabboni. Rabboni, meaning my great master, was the greatest designation of all. Once the teacher had seen two generations of disciples, he was referred to with this title and also called by his own name so that he would not be forgotten. And that's the title that Mary used so that Jesus would never be forgotten. Rabboni. He was referred to as Rabbi and now as Rabboni. Both of the, the designations that proved Others were following. And now when she used this term, she was saying, my life has forever been changed. You will never be forgotten. You will never be forgotten. Now that's what happened for her. And in many ways, every believer that would follow. For the disciples, there was something else that took place. We already read it. Here it is. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Continuity and transformation both in that passage. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus breathed on them and forever changed their lives. 
they never looked back. They had now seen him in continuity and transformation, and their lives were forever changed. Forever changed. All 11 of them, forever changed. It is so intriguing to me that it began with a breath. Now that's intriguing to me because it's familiar to every one of us. Our life begins the same way. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 2, starting in verse 5, we read, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." That's how our continuity life begins, how our earthly life begins. God breathes it into us, and that's what happens when we're born again. Jesus breathes the Spirit into us. In John chapter 20, in those verses that we just read, if you were looking closely, what you saw was one of the first post-resurrection understandings of the Trinity, the triune God. Jesus said it this way, as the Father sent me, me being the Son, so he's already acknowledged God the Father. He says, as God the Father sent me, Jesus the Son, so I, Jesus the Son, am sending you, the disciples, with the Holy Spirit. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit, post-resurrection, right there. And Jesus just said, all three of us are together in this, transformation transformation. And Jesus is allowing them to see something new in their own life. They're being sent forward now with the power of the Spirit. And every believer that sees the resurrected Jesus has that same power. And that power for Thomas did something pretty dramatic. It moved him from the realm of doubt into the realm of faith. Power of the Spirit. And when we go forth in that power that Jesus breathes on us at salvation, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we go forward in that power, others believe because we have become a witness to the resurrected Christ, joining the disciples and 500 other people. And that's how God built His church. Because He wanted us to be a part of it, He gave us the hope of resurrection, the promise of it. Both in continuity, your body will rise again, and in transformation, it will receive heavenly glory, according to Eugene Peterson. Both are available to those that believe. That's the power of the resurrection. Jesus led the way. That's the theology of the resurrection. Jesus led the way in continuity and transformation. Put them both together and the mystery starts to clear up for us. That's what heaven's going to be like. Full of recognizable, glorified bodies. Full of recognizable, glorified people. Children of God. Won't that be amazing? Won't that be amazing? And it's all possible because of what Jesus did for us. Now, I'm going to finish this out just by sharing with you that 
all of that resurrection hope begins for us in salvation. Romans chapter 6, you don't have to turn with me, just listen. Romans chapter 6 writes it like this. Paul does. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The continuity and the transformation begins when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is completed when this life is over and we are in the presence of the Lord. But it begins at salvation. It begins at salvation. While the worship team comes up, I'm going to leave you with Charles Swindoll's understanding of this passage. I like it a lot. Here it is. Christ died for us on the cross. He was raised from the dead for us at the tomb. When we believed in the Savior's death and resurrection, we were dipped into the same scene. Our identity was changed. We didn't feel it, we didn't see it, we didn't hear it, but it occurred nevertheless. When we came to Christ, we were placed into Him as His death became ours. His victorious resurrection became ours. His awakening to new life became our awakening. His powerful walk became our powerful walk. Before we can experience the benefits of all of that, we have to know it. The Christian life is not stumbling along hoping to keep up with the Savior. He lives in me and I live in Him. And in this identification with Him, His power becomes mine. His very life becomes my life, guaranteeing that His victory over sin is mine to claim. That's resurrection power available to every believer at the moment of salvation. It begins, it begins, and it never ends. That's the joyful promise of a walk with Christ. It begins and never ends. Resurrection power. I hope you've trusted it. If you haven't, talk to somebody today about Jesus Christ. You'll get your questions answered. You'll find people to pray with you. You talk to somebody about a relationship with Jesus. Begin the journey. And it will never, ever end.